Did the gospel really say this morning, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth? And I traded Sid to preach this Sunday. <laughs> when I read that, I went back to the Jeremiah reading going, my joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick. <laughs> this is quite a gospel reading and definitely somehow needs to get untangled because what we hear in the gospel is about this dishonest steward who's squandering the master's property. So the master's going to fire him. But before his time or date of termination, he's got to take care of himself, so he brings in the people who owe the master. I mean, this is a huge amount of money. This is commercial, not residential. You know, it's a huge amount of money. And he brings them in and he cuts their debt in half or he takes a substantial amount on it, hoping for that quid pro quo that we know so well in our own economy, how we deal with things. If I do this for you, then you'll do something for me. Hopefully these people will take him in because he won't have a job. And as he told us, he's too proud to beg and he's too old to dig. So when the master finds out that he's slashed the debt of some people who owe the master money, we would think that the master would be angry. But no, the master's like, wow, hmm, pretty shrewd. And then we hear in the gospel about how the people of this generation are shrewder than the children of the light, the people who have been following Christ or who understand God and God's economy. So none of this makes sense that the master is actually complimenting the dishonest steward on his plan. It's all kind of crazy. So I went to a Bible study with a bunch of clergy and we're all sitting around scratching our heads and they're thinking, well, who is Jesus in this? And maybe it's about forgiveness of the debt and uh, maybe Jesus is is the master, but he, you know, and it's like, whoa, maybe it's not an allegory. Maybe Jesus isn't any of these people. Maybe this is one of those stories where you kind of needed to be there. Have you ever told that story? People go, they're kind of scratching their head, and you think it's hysterical, or you think there's some profound point, and everyone's looking at you like, okay, whatever. So maybe this is one of those. But what I think this is, is I think this is pointing out something about the economy of human nature that still exists today. Because think about it. We're all sitting here thinking, we would never compliment somebody trying to cheat somebody else. Well, guess what? <laughs> I worked for Hewlett Packard, and last I knew, the last CEO, um, Mark Hurd, was caught doing something. They said it was his bad expense reports, but we know that's not the whole story. And what happened to him? I think he got $16 million to go away. I told this to the people at Brentland, and this one 96-year-old said, I'd take $16 million to go away. <laughs> so would I. <laughs> and I have to admit, part of me is like, well, how do you do that? How do you get those jobs? What's so different about him versus me? I mean, money is the source of the greatest anxiety for most of us, for all of us. 
I mean, we, we live in fear that we're going to lose our job or our pay will get cut or how are we going to survive? It causes a lot of anxiety and, and we are constantly tempted to maybe stretch things. I think I'm past the point. I was going to talk about logical lunch units. Should I put the filter on? A logical lunch unit was a way of doing an expense report when you got a speeding ticket in sales to you know, make up the money for your speeding ticket. Everyone did it, you know? I'm not confessing anything. <laughs> so if a lunch was 25 bucks, you had a $75 speeding ticket, do the math. It's three logical lunch units, you know? So I mean, this is, this is what happens in, in our human economy. It's about the quid pro quo, that if we do something or we pay something, we get something in return, that this is how our economy works. And money is anxiety producing. Now I have a son who just left the house last Monday to make his way to Chicago. He graduated from college, worked all summer saving up his money, got himself an apartment with his best friend from high school, and the two of them are trying to make their way in Chicago. And I get a call from him this week and he says, Mom, I've got this job offer. And I said, really? Wow, it's Tuesday. I'm thinking, huh, this is awesome. He's off the payroll, he's got a job. So he says, well, here's the job offer. This guy wants to pay me $700 a month to work 10 hours a week. Um, all I have to do is accept his packages to my house and then deliver them somewhere. <laughs> I don't have to interview because he's in Australia and I can start tomorrow. And I said, the next phone call is, what's your social security number? Give me your bank account number. So, Dead silence from me, and then I hear him say, if it's too good to be true, it is. With one exception. If it's too good to be true, in our economy, it is too good to be true. But with God, it's not too good to be true. God has a different economy than all the rest of what we do. In God's economy, in this gospel, it's the bad son, the one who squandered his inheritance and the father's property who shows up and the father kills the fatted calf while the older son is standing there going, what? How can you, I've worked and broken my back to, to get you this, and you are having a party for the person who squandered what you gave him? That's God's economy. I have trouble with that story. I'm totally the older son. We all have trouble with that story because that's God's economy, and God's economy is so very different than our human economy that what we get from God is not something we earn, not something we deserve, not something we can get as a result of a favor or a ministry or whatever. It comes totally, completely free of strings to us. And what God's economy is a, a radical, generous love that we can't even imagine. So that we're, we don't have to cut debts to get into the eternal home that's provided to us from God. God
God has already taken care of that for us. God sent God's son, Jesus, who died for us to show us that it's done. That we are not saved because of something we say, something we do, that it's a free gift that we don't have to deserve. Thanks be to God. And what we do do in God's economy is that we respond to this free gift. And as a result, we give free gifts to others. So as an example, for all of you who participate in some sort of ministry where you're giving and expecting nothing in return, you are participating in God's economy. For those of you who experience a gift of ministry, knowing full well the person doesn't know you and doesn't expect anything in return, you are participating in God's economy. We have all had those moments where because of what we think of, of economy, we think, how am I going to pay them back? We can't pay God back. There's nothing we can do. God loves us in spite of ourselves. God has saved us. Thank God for God's economy.